I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about Brazil's January 8th, where supporters of former President Bolsonaro pillaged and vandalized Congress, the Supreme Court of Brazil, and the presidential offices, we have with us Dr. Ryan Berg, who is our America's program director at CSIS. Ryan, who's coming to us from Zurich today. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. All right. So, Ryan, this is big news, not just in Brazil, but globally. Bolsonaro, of course, is convalescing in Miami right now. And, you know, there's talk of possibly extraditing him to Brazil. But before we get to that, Tell our listeners like what happened in Brazil and how it was similar to our January 6th and not similar to January 6th. Well, Andrew, I think the the similarities kind of speak for themselves. You saw protesters become violent, uh, turn from protesters into invaders, actually ingress into, into buildings. In Brazil, it was not just the Congress, but also the presidential palace and the Supreme Court. All of them happened to be in close physical proximity in Brasilia in a main square called the the Square of the Three Powers. And that was not just shocking, but also the the, the set of images that I think gave people the the greatest understanding that this was Brazil's version of, of January 6th. But I think some of the differences here are important to unpack. And the first thing I would say is there wasn't a discrete point in time on January 8th in Brazil, where protesters who then became invaders could point to and say, we're trying to disrupt the democratic process. That was obviously the case on January 6th. There was a very vulnerable moment, which protesters were trying to interrupt to essentially overturn an election. Lula has been in office for a full week now. The inauguration happened on January 1st. January 8th marked his first week in office. So there wasn't that discrete point in time. The other thing that I would say is the role of the military. The role that the the protesters expected the military to play was very different in both countries. I think on January 6th in Washington, when the military showed up, it showed up too late. We're all frustrated about that. But once it showed up, protesters had a general expectation that they were going to have order imposed. That was the end of the game when when the military showed up. Whereas in Brazil, when the military showed up, Many of the protesters cheered them on because they thought that the military was all of a sudden going to come to their side and help them to overtake or overthrow this government and reinstall, presumably, Jair Bolsonaro as, as, as president. Of course, that wasn't the case. The, the military played its, its constitutional function and eventually helped to, to, to clear space within Brazil's institutions. And then the last bit was that this took place on a weekend, right? And so the president, Lula da Silva, was in Sao Paulo state, a two, three-hour plane ride away from Brasilia. The Congress wasn't in session. There were no Supreme Court justices in their chambers. So you didn't have those images that we had on January 6th with senators having near misses with, uh, with very violent protesters uh, as they fleed their chambers. So, Ryan, did this series of events come as a surprise to you or was it something that you kind of expected? Yes and no, Andrew. It, it, it both came as a surprise to me, but also it's not a surprise. It, it came as a surprise to me in the sense that it happened after the inauguration. Many of us expected political violence of this flavor to occur before the inauguration because there was that discrete point in time or several discrete points in time where there could have been an interruption 
in the peaceful transfer of power. That didn't happen. And so the plan here seemed to me to be even more far-fetched, which was to create such mayhem, such social disorder, that the military would be left with no other choice but to reinforce order, peace, and stability, and to somehow usher back into power. Jair Bolsonaro as the guarantor of of that peace, security, and stability is a pretty far-fetched idea, as opposed to trying to create some kind of political crisis before the inauguration. Many of us were expecting this to occur, but before the inauguration, quite frankly. As of yesterday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Brazilian authorities had detained about 1,500 supporters of former President Bolsonaro who participated in these riots. You know, there were about 300 arrests on Sunday. These were the people who targeted the Congress and other buildings, as we discussed. What do you think is going to happen to these protesters? Well, there's a serious conversation going on in Brazil right now about what to call them. Uh, A lot of folks are calling them terrorists and are asking them to to be tried under counterterrorism laws. Others are accusing them of of committing a coup. Some are using the word insurrection. It's, It's unclear to even political scientists what to call these folks who have who have ingressed in, into these buildings because their their goals weren't weren't exactly clear and and so there's a serious conversation now happening about what is going to going to transpire in terms of how they will be tried it's likely that that many of them will be punished as a deterrent factor because the there were so many of them that the message has been sent that this is not over right this this could potentially happen again Brazilians who are against this government in in Brazil could easily mobilize and attempt another uh, put potential act similar to what we saw on January 8th. So there will be a desire, I think, to to punish them very firmly as a turned act to prevent this from happening again. Why do you think it took them two or three months after the election to really mobilize? And, you know, I guess the real question we have is, is this mobilization going to continue? Mobilization will will continue, I think, especially as the current government experiences some some challenges. It has current challenges with its fiscal dynamic. It has current foreign policy challenges, inability to grow the economy, inflation. There are a number of domestic headwinds that it faces. And when the going gets tough, it certainly could mobilize to prevent any meaningful reform in, in Brazil. The question is whether that mobilization takes the form of, of protests that simply paralyze Brazil's political system, or whether it takes the form of violent mobilization, as we saw on Sunday. To get to your other question, Andrew, about why it, it took so long, look, we saw a lot of political violence throughout the Brazilian electoral calendar. Several candidates were, were injured. There were candidates who, who pulled guns on constituents at, at one point throughout the, the campaign season. This was a violent campaign season by sort of any definition. But in terms of mobilized violence, I do think that, that Bolsonaro supporters were telegraphing for, for months what they intended to do by camping out, quite literally, camping out in front of military barracks in Brazil and asking for the Brazilian military to make an intervention to keep Jair Bolsonaro in office beyond December 31st. They had done that in a number of important cities and there were conversations going on within Brazil about whether they would have to remove these encampments because they posed such a danger or whether they they calling for the Brazilian military to make an intervention was simply a matter of free speech. What is Bolsonaro's role in this now? He's 
condemned the activities of January 8th, but he's not returning to Brazil, at least willingly. So where does this leave him now? And, and what's your view of what he's trying to do? Well, he wasn't at the inauguration ceremony, which is traditional for a departing Brazilian president to ceremonially give the presidential sash from himself over to to the incoming president. He flew instead to, to Florida, as you mentioned, and wasn't there for, for the inauguration. We don't know what kind of visa status he's under. If he's under one type of visa, visa status, it could be for official diplomatic reasons. If he's under another, it could be simply for for tourist reasons. But my understanding is that he's going to remain in Florida for a period of time of between one and three months to see whether some of the investigations in Brazil either die down or whether they pick up and decide what he wants to do as his next step from there. There are several investigations open on him right now and on several members of of his family that could potentially implicate him or prevent him from running in future or even result in his arrest now that his immunity has been taken away. What we know about how much he knew about the planning and whether he directed them, whether he said enough to be able to deter these attacks, we just don't know enough at, at, at this point. The classic questions of who knew what and when haven't been answered yet, I think, in this case. But uh, suffice it to say that, that his presence in Florida has become a, a major irritant in the Brazil-U.S. relation and put the Biden administration and the U.S. government in a pretty difficult position now that there are increasing calls for him to be, if not extradited, then at least expelled from the country so that he's forced to go back to Brazil and, and have some kind of accountability for, for what he helped to contribute to. So what are the Biden administration's options at this point? And do you have any sense of what they're likely to do? Well, only the Biden administration would know what visa status Bolsonaro has at the moment. It hasn't been released publicly from what I've seen. They've said that they won't comment on it publicly. They did say, however, that if he entered under a diplomatic visa, which requires him to be under official business, and he's no longer uh, entitled to have that, that visa, that that could be a violation. That doesn't mean that they will take action on it, but they did mention that yesterday. I do think that calls for, for his extradition are, are very much premature. Again, he hasn't been accused in this instance of any, of any crime yet. In Brazil, the, the attorney general is still figuring out how to proceed in, in that sense. And so until there's a formal accusation and a request from the Brazilian government, it's probably premature to talk about some kind of extradition. I will note that the, the U.S. does have an extradition treaty with Brazil. It was signed in, in the 1960s. It's not used very often, but it does exist for high interest individuals which I think the former president would would clearly fall under. Yeah, certainly. Okay, so where does this leave Brazil and Brazilian democracy? And what do you expect in the next couple months? Well, I expect a lot of discussion within the Lula administration on how to prevent this from happening again, because I, I think there are going to be some serious questions and a number of investigations about why the security was so light on that day very similarly to some of the investigations that we had. You know, why wasn't there greater security around some of these critical buildings that we knew were targets of protesters on this very important day? And from those investigations, there will be a lot of finger pointing, I imagine. Some people will lose their jobs. Uh, some people will get promotions. And there, there will be an entirely uh, different set, I think, of, of policies vis-a-vis 
protesters and, and the potential for this kind of mobilization again. The long-term job for Lula hasn't necessarily changed. It's to rebuild Brazil's democratic institutions to the best that he possibly can. It's been made more difficult, I think, by this mobilization, by the message that was sent by this mobilization that a significant number of Brazilians believe you to be an illegitimate president and they're willing to take extreme action to make that point. But the general project still remains the same, is to get Brazil back onto a sound democratic path, is to get Brazil back onto a path of, of economic development and growth. Um, it's just been made harder by the fact that more Brazilians appear to be willing to take this kind of path to stymie the Lula administration. Ryan Berg, thank you very much for these observations. This will be something we'll have to watch, and I'm sure we'll be talking about again really soon. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 